I always think this is a strange week in the year. All the excitement of Christmas is over, and yet New Year hasn't yet begun. What are we meant to be thinking about this particular week? It's a good time to look back and to be thankful for many of, many of the blessings that we've enjoyed in the past. It's a good time also to look forward with hope and with faith and trust in God for our future. A friend of our family once asked me at the end of one year a question which made me stop and think. Do you have any hopes for the coming year? I thought that was a very good question. Do you have any hopes for the coming year? As we start to fill in our new diaries and calendars, or maybe you do that online or on your phone or tablet. Um, what kind of thoughts go through your mind? What are you hoping for? If there's one thing surely that we need in life, it's hope. We live in a world and a society that, to a large extent, has lost hope. Where are we to find hope? Family life can sometimes be fragile and uncertain. Job situations can be unpredictable. We live in a world where the moral absolutes have often been put to one side and people are wondering what is right and what is wrong. Is there any such thing? Young people growing up in such a society are often faced with so many conflicting messages and teachings they don't know what to think or which direction to go in and what does the future hold. The Bible is very, very clear about the reason for this loss of hope in our world and in many people's lives. It is because people are trying to live their lives without God. And the Bible tells us that to be without God is to be without hope in the world. Ephesians chapter 2 says that uh, if we are to have hope, then God is to be there in our lives. In Scripture, there are many descriptions of the mighty, eternal God, our Creator. He's called the God of love, the God of peace, the God of justice and the God of mercy. But amongst the great names describing God, there's one found in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, which is the God of hope. He is the God of hope. And if you want hope in your life, you need God to be at the center. You need Christ, the Son of God, at the center of your life. Christians, more than any people, should surely be people of hope. And the one theme that rings out loud and clear again and again on the pages of our New Testament is the theme of hope. Now, the early Christians were certainly people who did not have an easy life. They were facing uh, dangers and threats for their stand for Jesus Christ every day. There was false teaching creeping into the true church. Uh, there were many dangers and many threats, and yet the one theme which is very, very clear and unmissable in the New Testament is the theme of hope. We need hope, don't we? 
Because events can sometimes shake you and knock you and you don't know where to turn. Where are we going? Where are we to find hope? In our own lives, uh, as the people of God, uh, living in a society which does not recognize the truth of God, how are we to find hope? Well, there are many passages of the Bible which can help us here. Uh, in Romans chapter 15, it says that in him, in Christ, the nations shall hope. He is the reason for hope. Uh, and it's quoting there from the words of Isaiah in Psalm 71. For you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my trust from my youth. And many such verses we can find in the Bible. But the one I particularly want to focus our attention upon is found in our reading from the first letter of John and chapter 3. And verse 3. And here it is hope that is not just something vague, it's not just a feeling, it's not just an abstract idea, but it's something practical. It's something which is lived out in the nitty-gritty, down-to-earth lives of believing people every day. It's a hope that is linked vitally to holiness. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What is real hope? What is this true hope that, that a real follower of Jesus Christ can find? Firstly, please notice that it is a certain hope. And everyone who has this hope, not just a hope, but this hope. There's something definite about it, something certain about it. When we use the word hope in everyday conversation, we might use it in a different way than that which the Bible uses it. We might say, I hope that it's not going to rain tomorrow, or I hope I get the job, or I hope my team wins the match. But there's no certainty or guarantee to these things. That's what we might call a hope so. But the Bible uses the word hope in an altogether different way. There's nothing uncertain about it. It's absolutely solid and sure and guaranteed. Why is that? Well, one reason why that is, is that it is anchored to historical facts. Do you have this hope? Not a vague, uncertain hope, but this hope. It's a hope that is fixed to two particular series of events. One is in the past and the other is in the future. Many years ago, I went on a camping trip with a friend in the south of France and we came to a campsite and started to put up the tent and um, the ground was rock hard and there were lots of stones underneath the surface of the ground and we thought well there won't be a problem here the sky is blue there's not a cloud in sight there's no wind won't be a problem so we put up the tent as best we could and tried to push those tent pegs in 
In the middle of the night, I woke up feeling the tent flapping all around me and the wind was howling and uh, I could feel the tent moving down the campsite. I had to come back and find some rocks and put them around the edge of the tent. Um, And I noticed everybody else on the site was doing the same thing. What was the problem? The tent wasn't secured. It wasn't fixed into the ground. A tent normally has two sets of guy ropes, one at the front and the other set at the back. And those guy ropes have to be firmly fixed into the ground so that the tent stays where it should be. Our hope, if it is in the Lord Jesus Christ, is fixed. It is anchored in two directions. It is firstly anchored to a set of facts in the past. And it is also anchored to a set of facts that are yet future. And even though they haven't happened yet, they're equally certain because God's word always proves true. The Lord Jesus Christ's first coming into the world is clearly mentioned here in the context of our passage. It speaks of him being manifested, and it's in the past tense. In verse 5 of chapter 3, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins. And in verse 8, For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, past tense. Why? That he might destroy the works of the devil. So the historical fact that Jesus Christ came into our world is the very reason for our hope. And it sets the context for verse 3, this hope that we're speaking of. We've been thinking recently, haven't we, about the truth that God became man. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it's a staggering, mind-blowing truth that the eternal Son of God, our creator, the giver of life, should actually step onto our planet and take a human nature and become as one of us, truly human and yet without sin, to live in our world. And, And the wonder of the incarnation, God in human flesh, This miracle is at the centre of the gospel that we believe. That this baby who was born and placed there in the straw, in poor surroundings, this baby was in fact the eternal God, the one before whom all, we must all appear. But as we think about his coming into the world, linked to that fact is that he was perfect, though he was truly human, He was without any sin, even as a child growing up. It was recognised by his parents and others in the village where he lived that this child was different. He didn't tell lies. He didn't lose his temper. He didn't selfishly want his own way. He was a child without sin. And as he grew into manhood, it was clear to everybody around him, even his enemies could find no fault justly against him 
it was clear that this person was a perfect person in all his actions and words, even thoughts, he was perfect. And um, this is brought out here in verse 5 particularly. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. How could he take away our sins unless he himself had no sin? He was able to offer himself a perfect sacrifice because he is perfect. He is pure, as verse 3 says, even as he is pure. So his coming into the world, his perfect life. And then we're told here in this passage about his death on the cross. Uh, if not specifically uh, spelt out, it's certainly um, implied there that he came to take away our sins. How did he do that? Well, he died on the cross. He took the blame and bore the price for all our sins. And as we believe in him, we're set free from sin. That passage we mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2, where it speaks about hope and the loss of hope being without God in this world, it tells us also that we were all once far away from God because of our sins. But it tells us how we can be brought near to God once again. It is by the blood of his cross, it says. We have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In, in Hebrews chapter 6, it speaks about hope, real hope, Christian hope, as an anchor for the soul. And there the imagery merges. Um, hope is an anchor, but, but it's also that hope which goes behind the curtain into the most holy part of the temple, the place where sacrifice was offered and blood was sprinkled. It is the place where, where God is fully present in all his holiness. And it is there, through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself, that we're able to draw near. And that's the reason for our hope. That certain hope that we have is because he died upon the cross. He took all our sins, if we believe in him, upon himself and bore them away forever. But we can't really think about the cross of Christ without also linking that very closely to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And very often in the Bible, those two events are put side by side, almost as if they are one happening. That Christ, having died and been buried, rose again by his own mighty power from the grave. And our hope, this certain hope, which we have if we believe in Christ, is linked to the fact that he has risen again from the grave. Death could not hold him, but he broke the power of death by rising from the dead. The first letter of Peter, chapter 1 and verse 3, says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has begotten us again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled 
which does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are being kept. So the resurrection of Christ is also the reason for our hope. And it's a historical fact. It was evidenced by eyewitnesses and uh, their versions of events match and back up one another. But true Christian hope is not only fixed to these past events. As we think about the first coming of Christ into our world as our saviour and our Lord, we're also then springboarded forward to future events which are equally certain. Back in chapter 2 and verse 28, it also speaks here about the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And in uh, chapter 3 and verse 2, it says, When he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. It's speaking of the return of our Lord Jesus Christ in glory, that event which we're looking forward to if we believe in him. And God's word speaks so plainly and so clearly about it. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we eagerly wait for the Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Again, this future event is not so much one event, but as we explore it, clearly we can see that there are a number of aspects to it. It involves the judgment of this present evil world. It involves the raising again of everyone who has ever lived to, to appear before the judgment throne of Christ. It involves the renewal of all creation. Believing people, those who have trusted in Christ alone for their salvation, being raised gloriously with perfect bodies to inhabit a, a new environment where there's no pain, no sadness, no death. All these things will have gone. Uh, but, but even creation itself will be transformed and made new. Uh, Romans chapter 8 speaks of creation standing on tiptoes, looking forward to this great event. This wonderful event, which is yet future, but is equally certain. Because God's word never fails. All those Old Testament promises about the first coming of Christ were fulfilled, where he would be born and in what surroundings and what would happen to him. Every detail was fulfilled perfectly. And so God's word, equally certainly, will come true in the future. So this hope which we can have in Christ is a certain hope. There's nothing uncertain about it. But secondly, notice that it is a Christ-centred hope. It is a Christ-centred hope. 
And everyone who has this hope in him, in him. And we have to ask, well, who is it speaking of when it says him? And we have to straight away um, clear away a wrong understanding of this verse. It's not saying, and everyone who has this hope within himself purifies himself just as he is pure. If it were saying that, then a different word would have been used in the original text of our passage here. But the word is, is definite in that one, that one we've been speaking about, in him. And so we have to set it in the context and we have to glance back into chapter 2. And there we, we begin to see that actually the Father, God the Father, and his Son are both mentioned in verse 24. It speaks about abiding in the Son and in the Father. And then as we go through the next few verses, at certain points, it's speaking about God with the pronoun he or him, either the Godhead or, or God the Father. And at other points, clearly, it's speaking about the Son of God. And certainly when we get into chapter 3, and it speaks of um, the fact that we shall see him. Clearly, it cannot be speaking about God the Father. Because no one has seen God, says John's Gospel, chapter 1, at any time. But, but it is through Christ, the Son of God, that we can know God. And, um, and at the end of chapter 2 and into chapter 3, the context here is very clearly the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ that we should not be ashamed before him at his coming, that when he is revealed, verse 2. And so the immediate context there in verse 3 is that it's been speaking of Christ, the Son of God. And everyone who has this hope in him, in the one who will appear, the one who will be revealed, everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. It is a Christ-centred hope. We've just been singing, in Christ alone my hope is found. In Christ alone my hope is found. Can you say that this morning? In all the uncertainties of this world, in all the confusing messages that you hear, can you say you have confidence in the one who really can bring answers, the one who really can bring help in an uncertain world? Do you have certain hope? And is that hope in Christ himself? Because there is no other person who has ever lived in our world who can offer this true, this certain hope. Why is that? Well, it's not just because of what has happened to him in the past, or what will happen in the future, though that is part of the reason for our certainty. But it is in the very fact of who he is. Not only the work of Christ, but the person of Christ is the reason for our hope. 
Our hope is not just fixed to events, either past or future, but it is centred upon the person of the Son of God himself. And he is unique because he is both God and man in one person. Who but an infinite person who is God could ever deal with all that enormity of my sin and your sin and the sin of many? Who could deal with all of that but a person who is infinite in power and mercy and wisdom and love? Yes, he necessarily uh, must be God in order to deal with our sin. But also, who except a real man could take our place? could represent us and live that holy life before God's presence that we could never live to satisfy the holy law of God perfectly. Who could do that? Who could then lay down his own life as a true man but a sinless man in our place as our substitute, taking the punishment for our sins upon himself, one who is true man, but also infinite God can do that. Only he can do it. And it is because of who he is that we have reason to hope. Where are we to find hope? Not in the world around us. Not in ourselves. Not in other people. Where are we to find hope? We're to find hope in Jesus Christ alone. He is the way and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. As his own words testify in John chapter 14 and verse 6, he is the way and the truth and the life. Can I ask you this morning, do you know this Saviour to be your friend and Saviour and Lord? He is your only hope, your only hope for eternal life. Warren Wearsby has written many excellent, uh, helpful books, uh, commentating on different books of the Bible. And in one of them, he mentions that he was uh, cast down on one particular day in his own feelings. And a card came through the letterbox from a friend. And he opened it up and he read it. And it simply said this, when the outlook is gloomy... Try the uplook. Very simple words, but he said they really transformed his day and um, lifted his eyes and his hopes heavenward to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our hope. We sometimes sing, and God willing, we'll, we'll uh, sing this hymn at the end of our service. We sometimes sing before the throne of God above. I have a strong, a perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because the sinless saviour died, my sinful soul is counted free, for God 
the just, is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Where is your hope today? Can you say, my hope is in Jesus Christ and in him alone, because he is the saviour that I need. And then this hope is not only a certain hope and a Christ-centred hope, but it's what we also might call a characteristic hope. That is, it's that which characterises what a true Christian is, what a true follower of Jesus Christ is. It's someone who lives a life of obedience to him. And everyone who has this hope in him, in Christ, purifies himself just as he is pure. Children often have a great resemblance to their parents and uh, they might wish it was otherwise. Sometimes uh, we, we might wish our children didn't share so many of our bad characteristics, uh, but they do. It's, it's there, it's that natural likeness. Well, the Apostle John is telling us that that works also on a spiritual level, not just on a natural level. That those who have been born into God's family, those who have been born of God, born again by the Holy Spirit of God to a new life. And it's that emphasis, rather than the fact that we are adopted legally as children of God, which is also true, but it's, it's that sense of being born again into the family of God that's, that's emphasized here. Those who are born into God's family will obviously show the family likeness. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. That's only natural. Of course, you will live a holy life if you belong now to Christ. You've been born of God. You're a new person. It stands to reason that you will not live as you once lived. Imagine a professional singer who is tone deaf and can't sing a note. Would you buy a ticket to a concert? It, it would be a contradiction, wouldn't it? Or a teacher that can't stand the sight of children. What are they doing in that job? You, you would think, well, they need to find a different um, job. It's a contradiction. And so it is an absolute contradiction for someone to claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ and yet to be living just as they have always lived, following their own selfish ambitions and desires and patterns of life, it, it cannot be. Back in chapter 2 and verse 6, it says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. This is what is expected if you are a member in this family, the family of God. You cannot, you just cannot live as you once lived. That would be absurd. That would be a contradiction. And I think it's in that sense that these verses are speaking about holy, obedient living for the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when you read a passage like this, 
you might start to feel a bit uncomfortable. You might start to wonder, um, am I really saved? Because it says that those who are born again do not sin. Isn't that what we read? Whoever abides in him, verse 6, does not sin. And you might think, oh, well, I know that even since I've been a Christian, I've let the Lord down, sometimes very badly, and I've failed him, and I've sinned against his holy word. Whoever sins, it says, has neither seen him nor known him. Verse 9, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Does this mean then that because I have sinned, even after I have professed to believe in Jesus Christ, that that I'm not really a Christian? Well, we only need to glance back to chapter 1 to realise that that's not what it's teaching at all. Because in chapter 1, and John is writing to Christians, those that he calls his little children in, in the faith, he's writing to Christians. He says in verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the Apostle John is certainly not saying that once you become a follower of Jesus Christ, you will never, ever sin. It's not saying you will never commit any sins. But what it's saying is this, that sin will no longer be the pattern of your life. And the, the way that the words work there in the passage that we've been reading from chapter 3 is that it's speaking of a continuous action. Whoever abides in him does not continue to sin. Whoever continues to sin has neither seen him nor known him. It's speaking about a pattern of life. That pattern of life surely has changed if we have come to the Lord Jesus Christ, if we belong to him now. We're born into the family of God and we simply cannot live as we once lived. A parent might say to his child, her child, you don't do that in this family. You can't behave like that in this family. You, you just don't do that. And um, somebody listening might say, um, you've just said you don't do that in this family, but your child has done it. Ah, yes, you say, well, that's not what I meant. I meant this is what we expect. This is what we expect. If you belong to this family, you don't behave like that. And I think it's in that sense that the Apostle John is reasoning with believers, true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ here. And he's saying, look, if you belong to the family of God, you, you, you share the family likeness. You cannot live as you once lived. That would be absurd. That would be a contradiction. Holiness is a process. We don't get there overnight. It happens gradually as the Spirit of God works in us, as we learn more from the Word of God about how to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. But as we grow in likeness to him, 
we grow in uh, our enjoyment of his presence. And yet also, strangely, we become more aware of the sin that remains in us and, and just how much we need the Lord Jesus Christ. What hope is there for people like us as we draw to the end of one year and as we enter into a new year? The world has no hope for you. The conflicting messages of the world can bring you no hope. Your only hope is in Jesus Christ, the one who has conquered sin and death by stepping into our world, taking our sin upon him, paying the price for it, rising from the dead, and the one who is at God's right hand now and is coming again, and every eye will see him, and if you belong to him, you have every reason to hope and to pray that as you live for him, as your life is transformed by him, you will grow more and more in likeness to him. And that will mean new patterns of life, new patterns of speaking, of actions and thoughts. It will govern where you go, the relationships you form, what you watch and what you read. It will govern the way you go about your work, the way that you serve the Lord amongst the people of God, the way that you show love towards others. And that's the emphasis of this um, letter more than anything else. Love, again and again it's repeated, love one another, even as the Lord Jesus Christ has loved you. Well, we won't arrive at perfection this side of heaven, but we can certainly have that hope fixed in Jesus Christ. When your outlook is gloomy, and without Christ, it is, try the uplook, look to him alone, and that will transform everything.